Text Talks could not be prouder to be collaborating with Johnny Walker Rocking the Daisies this season. This season is all about inclusion, all about providing a platform, and all about the music. We are teaming up with one of the world's most iconic brands, which, for the first time, is teaming up with one of the world's most iconic festivals. We could not be more stoked to be jumping on the Johnny Walker Rocking the Daisies train to bring you an all-woman lineup for the first time across all our seasons. So remember to keep walking towards love, keep walking towards the future, keep walking towards music as we prep you for what's bound to be the biggest festival of the year. Head on over to rockingthedaisies.com to find out more about the future of music festivals in Africa. Get those last-minute festival tips, merch, and soak up every little bit of excitement that Johnny Walker Rocking the Daisies has to offer. Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to a singer, songwriter, and spoken word artist who creates music that is so intricately layered and nuanced. She literally puts all of herself on the record. With a career that has seen her collaborate with some of South Africa's premier DJs and producers, and some of this podcast's nearest and dearest, this powerhouse performer finally joins me today. I am, of course, talking about CEO. CEO, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks, and you, Tex. Thanks for having me. It's only a pleasure. It's only a pleasure, my darling. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm much better than the last time I spoke to you. Sure, I remember <laughs> we spoke, I think it was like just before you released Features, Yes. Um, and, and I remember like it was such a hot day and I was in my apartment and my, my aircon was broken and I was like melting. But I Ooh, remember yeah. that was such a it was such a lacquer interview because we spoke like super in depth about yeah. the record. And, yeah, and you know, it's been it's been out now for like a year and a bit. But when you look back on it, how does features make you feel now? It makes me feel proud. Um it, it was a very sort of risky album for me to do. It was very artistic. I had a lot of uh, things on my chest. It was a, sort of a, a cathartic record for me. So a lot of people heard me. So the intention was for people to hear this record and introspect. And it did exactly that. So I'm I'm grateful that that happened. So I'm proud of it. And I'm grateful that it did what I intended, especially because it terrified me. Mm. I mean, you were taking on the system. You were taking on misogyny mm. and abuse. And you were addressing the woes of being a woman mm. in South Africa, but also in just in general. Um, and I, I mean, I remember when we spoke, you know, you were saying that like mentally and emotionally when you were writing it, you were in quite a fragile place, but mm. where, where are you now versus when you were making features? I'm in a different place of fragility. I think, I think it's moved and between then and now there've been places that have peaked and been wonderful and they've been intense lows, like everybody's going through. So it's, it's a different kind of, vulnerability because I think I went from being 
and I don't know how everyone else's journey is, but maybe everyone else can relate on some level. You go through hurt and then after hurt, you go through angry and then after angry, you go through healing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. healing is a place where you need to accept that. Yes, I was angry and I was hurt, but you also need to take accountability for your contribution to your anger and your hurt and that pain so you can heal. So just, just, you know, I don't know, dishing it out or just throwing it at the other parties or whatever it is that you're angry at is sometimes too much to deal with because I don't believe that I can heal myself if the blame is entirely off me. Then I'm just angry forever. I need to take some Mm. accountability in some sense. And it's not to say that I am... um, equitting or whatever the other party of their dealings it's just easier to take on responsibility for it in whatever capacity I can so I move forward and that's hard to do because half the time I'm just like ah but I didn't break it most you know what I mean (laughs) but yeah that's that's the vibe I don't know if that helps you know when I write anything that is Mm. incredibly personal or create anything that or create something where I'm sharing a part of myself and then I'm putting Mm -hmm. it out into the world I always get very nervous Mm. before before I put it out and then once it's out it's like okay well you know now it's out and now (laughs) people gonna engage with it and they're gonna interpret it you know however they choose exactly whichever way they choose and I think that features was so nuanced on so many different levels. And I saw Mm -hmm. that Apple Music named Features one of their top albums of 2021. And it must be so rewarding when something is so loaded like Features was. And, you know, a platform like Apple Music is recognizing it. And you're like, you know what? Aware. (laughs) That's great. Indeed. That's 100% it. I was was very, very proud and excited and honored and surprised because, again, like you're saying, it's it's a very loaded album. Like, and they liked it. And I'm like, I'm happy people were open to receiving it the way they did. And it wasn't just Apple, it was also just like my fan base because I remember we spoke about who they are. And they're mm-hmm. predominantly the working class um, black South African men. And right now they're like the greatest perpetrators of gender-based violence. And they're the people that love the song Woman the most, which was like incredible to me to witness. Because they've been they've been asking about it or like when it came out they'd ask about lyrics, they'd ask about the story behind really? it. There's discourse around that and I was like okay the album's done what I wanted to at least that song you know and the others had their moments in that space but I'm very proud of what woman's done for women in South Africa hopefully in the in the minds of men so for people who are listening who haven't heard woman explain Mm. to us what it's about so woman is a song about um kind of my experience as a woman of color in South Africa and a working class person before I delved into music entirely, it's about the struggles and the, the danger and the, the sort of um, hunted or haunted 
nature South African women sort of live in. We live in a constant state of being hunted. We live in a constant state of being um, violated. We live in a constant mm. state of danger is the word I wanted actually. So it it addresses that and it, it also doesn't doesn't lend itself too much to being a victim and 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 leaves women with a, a sense of victory that you should take up space and celebrate that you're here and it it transcends just um the violence that women face but also just the discrimination in terms of how we earn over and above what men earn and and how unequal that is and how we are seen to, and we need to sexualize ourselves in order to be seen and heard and appreciated in the grand scheme of whatever industry we're in. There's a role women are supposed to stay in and not um, supersede or be ambitious about leaving or whatever it is, or, or not speak or seek to occupy, I guess. I don't know how I'm phrasing this. My brain's, my brain's a bit fried. <laughs> but um, <laughs> just, just like... Yeah, and, and and take up those spaces and and dream those dreams and own that place. And it's going to be hard, but we salute you. And it's about sort of the solidarity of women. Because, yeah, I think that when we when we stand together, we do better than when we stand alone. I hope that answers you. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. But you know, I was thinking, I was thinking earlier, um, because I was. I was listening to features. I went and I, I revisited it for a little bit. And I think what I like the most about your music is how you tell the story of being a girl and being a woman in mm. such a beautifully nuanced way. Like your debut album, Subtext, right? It's basically a story about a girl in love, kind of like a, mm. a almost a diary. Um, yeah. And then obviously we've, we've spoken now a lot about features and how it's very different to, to mm. Subtext. But you you tell i mean like ugh, people love to box women right you know yes. you you are bossy you are pretty you are yes. a tomboy you you know you well, know what i mean thing. like yes. we can't just be all of those things do you know what yes. i mean and and i like how your your music and your lyrics as well paint a full picture of of the complexities of, of being a woman. So I want to know what, what's the next chapter? Like what, what can we expect? Cause I know you're always working on like a million and one different things. So, so what's the next chapter in, in your chapter? I'm going to do more music for sure. There's uh, a couple of projects in the pipeline for this year and they, they're also very different um, tonally in terms of tone and message uh, cool. from the last two um, albums, so that's that's coming, and they're they're a bit more laid back and take you through uh, a couple of different emotions, um, and they speak of of heartbreak and a day in heartbreak and what that looks like to me. But it's it's so pretty that I don't know if people are gonna get that it's about heartbreak because the music is mm. so pretty. But message-wise, I'm dealing with a, an intense heartbreak in the next chapter of music I'm going to share. And yeah, it, it, it kind of moves through a day of you're okay for the morning and then lunch comes and you get a reminder of said person who broke your heart and you're angry as hell. And then you go through a moment where you need to pull your face together because 
you have to deal with people and you don't want to look like you're melting and falling apart so you pull <laughs> yourself together and then you go home and you alone at night and there's nobody to distract you and nothing to distract you and you just sit in your feelings and you fall apart so it kind of goes through those motions for me in a non-linear way so it doesn't have like an arc in as much as the last two albums had they had a very very defined journey i don't think heartbreak does no life really Mm-mm. in general so it's a bit it's a lot for lack of a better word messier but the mess the mess within context makes sense you know i think that i think that our parents had it much easier than we did when it comes to like heartbreak right and like breaking up because really? back in the day if you broke up with someone that was it like you 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 didn't really have to see them again un- unless this you randomly true. bumped into them in checkers or something you know now there's social media there are facebook yeah. memories like hey. there's it's everything hey. and it's just it's there's whatsapp and then they're Lit like block. they're Lit oh man it's so much admin. Do you know what i it's mean so much admin but also i feel just to top that i feel like the dating culture right now is so loose there is no there's far less stability than our parents had maybe mm. it's because there's all the things that give us the idea that we have a lot more options so commitments a lot harder to to do for most people mm. i don't know it's just mm. a theory i've been pondering for a while but also you know during lockdown my fellow south africans when we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't mm. meet people outside the mm. only way that we could really communicate with anybody that wasn't in our household was online or through apps mm. So that kind of like forced everybody online and people who, mm. you know, might have been lonely before that or like, well, welcome to our world. <laughs> this is this, this is what is we true. live on a day-to-day basis. And true. but I just uh, like I don't know what what's your take on Tinder? Cuz I I mean, listen, there are the Tinder swindlers out and like that mm. shit is hectic. Yeah. But, yeah, right? I, mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it because I tend to avoid <gasps> whatever's in the super mainstream. I know I'm terrible. Like I'm a K-drama no, fanatic and I've still not seen, what was it? Squid Game. I'm waiting till I can grasp Korean meta because there's a lot that goes, that gets lost in, in, in translation apparently. So all the Koreans have said, you, you're missing a lot within context if you don't know Korean. It's still a great show. So I'm that person. If everybody's on it, I go left. But I mean, musically, if you know my music, you'll understand that that's normal of me to do. Okay. When everyone else is kind of, yeah, but I haven't. My feelings on Tinder are intense. I've tried it, but I couldn't cope on it. Like I, I did Tinder for like two days and I was just like, I can't look at people as options on a shopping list. Right. And that's essentially what right. we're doing anyway, but it just feels like so impersonal and so cold. And I'm like, oh, why does this make me feel like I need to go wash with bleach? <laughs> that's how it made me feel. I was just like, no, it's, it's, too, it's too transactional. And that's not to say that that's not what we're doing anyway, but it's so blatant and at such volume that I couldn't do it. Like I can't. I don't know. How do you feel? Wow. So I've never been on Tinder. I have used Tinder 
vicariously through my mm. friends. But okay. I was like, I've I've got a very addictive personality when it comes to things like apps and what I've got like app restrictions on my phone because I you know if I'm on something I'm on something it's got my like full 100% attention to the point where like I become a bit obsessed yeah yeah so so I was like "Mm, I'm not gonna join tinder because I'm (laughs) probably gonna be on it all day every day but I looked at it through uh, through friends and I just firstly I found when we looked through it a few times, I found that there were a lot of catfishes, which I really yes. didn't like. Yes. Like, you know, if I'm going to be on there as me and I'm going to be 100% myself, I would like to think that everybody else out there is also going to be 100% themselves. Yes. So that's why that's why the Tinder swindler fucked with my head so badly because I was like, here is a man who, he's a real man. He's not catfishing, but he's swindling people so hard. hard. And like, I think... I know, even if you don't watch it, let me just give you the premise, right? Yeah. There's this one girl she's interviewed first. Um, it's a very sweet blonde girl, like looking for love, wants the fairy tale ending, wants the prince charming, and mm. she proper falls in love with this guy. And then, like, like they're dating and everything, and she has no idea who he is. Like, she, he gives Wild. her a fake name. She doesn't know his real name. She thinks he's like this billionaire's son. He's not. And he basically says to her, like, my enemies are after me. And he concocts this whole story that he's in, like, hectic danger um, and that all of his bank cards are frozen and stuff. And, like, she's dating this guy. She's in love with this man. And so wow. she she gives him a whole bunch of her money. And oh, it gets, no. like, super complicated to the point where, like, uh, he makes her an employee of the company and, you know, like... She opens a bank account as an employee of the company to get her credit cards. They can up her credit limit. And I mean, she's still, this woman to this day is still paying off like all of the money and all of the loans. And I like, I watched this and I was thinking, you know, I would totally have been swindled (laughs) like that because I'm such a sucker for love, right? Because if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I love them and I think that they're in danger and I think that I can do something to get them Satan, out of danger, yes. you yes. know what I mean? What, yes, my, mother would, yes. my mother would probably be the person who was like, nah, what are you doing? What's you, happening? At least. No. At least. <laughs> Stop this. It's so, wild. Exactly. So to go back to your original question about what I think about Tinder, I think it's a... Big ass ocean with a lot of sharks and people should be very careful. Mm. However, Mm. I do think that there are some success stories. So if you're listening to this podcast, please don't let me and Sio put you off Tinder. No, do do you, whatever works for you, do the right thing. It just, exactly. Yeah. And that's okay. I, I met my, my boyfriend in, in a very old school way. Like I met him, <laughs> I met him at Van Hunks. We weren't supposed okay. to be there. Like it was past curfew, and then we went on a date the next day, and then two weeks later we were dating. But I'm telling you, it was the consistency. Like he called yes. me like every day, and he when I yes. messaged him, he messaged me back, and it was like yes. that. We both made an effort. Yes. So I like the old school way. To each their own. Whatever is yeah. whatever works works. You see, it worked. We're not charging. We are happy for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
now, just a quick side note because I have some super exciting news. Over at Text Talks, we get a huge number of artists reaching out to us to highlight their amazing content. And because we plan our seasons quite far in advance, we often can't accommodate requests to spotlight some of the amazing up-and-coming talents South Africa, Africa, and the world has to offer. And so we started Text Talks Extra. Text Talks Extra has gone on to become its own beast, and thanks to all of your support, we are super excited to announce that our friends in the culture of humor have stepped up to collaborate with us for the next season of Text Talks Extra, launching on the 14th of February. Puma have been at the very forefront of the culture through iconic collabs with the likes of Nomzamo Mabata, Winnie Harlow, Dua Lipa and Cara Delevingne, to Nintendo and even my fave sweeties Haribo, while always looking toward being more sustainable in the pursuit of their biodegradable shoe experiments. I mean, this is the brand that bought us suede, a fashion icon that's been a staple since its first drop in the 70s. Finally, keep your finger on that refresh button on Puma's Insta. Rumor has it with restrictions easing more and more, select sessions might just be happening live and in person at their flagship Bramfontein store, so don't say we didn't warn you. We are stoked to be collaborating with Puma again and can't wait to bring you only the freshest content on Tech Talks Extra, including all the happenings in the land of Puma for 2022. Whether it's their latest collab, hashtag select sessions, hashtag suede Sundays, or just a reminder that she moves us. Catch all the drops on at Puma South Africa on Insta or wherever you follow the iconic cat. And now, back to the show. What I want to know because what we do here at text talks right is we like to take it back mm. to where everything began mm-hmm. and i read that you grew up in the roman catholic church and then you were brought into music by somebody named sister Teresa. now i know this all yes. too well because <laughs> because i too am roman catholic so i hey. feel, i feel the story but okay talk to me about how how sister Teresa brought out the singer in you so there was a stage when I had like, I don't know how to say this word. Some people say it's encephalitis. Some people say it's encephalitis. You choose me. I don't know. It's one of them. So that's essentially inflammation of the brain from age 12 right through to age 16. So I was in and out of hospital for a while. They're trying to figure out why this child's brain is swollen and nobody could figure that out. Every test came back, the brain swollen, we don't know why, it just is. So I had to just live with it. So compliments to my four-year migraine, I have developed an an incredible tolerance for pain. So I just learned how to cope. But there were a couple of, there was a year, so a couple of months where I just couldn't go to school. So I went to church now and again, and there was this one Sunday I decided to go to Mass, as we call it as Roman Catholics. Um, mm-hmm. went to mass and, uh, on the pamphlet at the end of mass, somebody would read out the notices and there was a call for a youth choir. And I was what, 13, 14 at the time. Um, mm-hmm. and I joined, so we have practice after school. So like from three to like five every Thursday afternoon, and yeah, so I went, signed up. I did not think anything of my voice at this point because I'd been in choirs for a minute at this time and I'd never been given any leads or whatever in choir spaces. I'm always chorus at the back. 
So, um, they'd always, I don't know, they'd always give the other people stuff. So I didn't think anything of my voice at this time. Also, I did not test it because I could hold notes, but it wasn't a thing that I'd explored or discovered its natural tone. So I go to choir practice and we sing awfully, all wrong, all in the wrong keys, not in the right spaces for our voices to live. And uh, the first the first session, Sister Teresa wasn't there. So the Uncle Tucker was there. He's late now. Bless his soul. May he rest in peace. Um, and he's also like, you guys are singing wrong, but Sister Teresa will come through next weekend and fix that. So she comes mm. through and she tells me to sing in a soprano voice. And I'm like, ah, Sister me. She's like, yes, sing there. And um, at the end of the year, we had our first sort of... Um, I don't know, we had to sing for everybody. So we replaced the senior choir for confirmation on a Saturday because mm-hmm. that usually when that happens. So there was a confirmation of the year ahead of me in catechism as we go through. So Sunday school for Catholics is called catechism. So, uh, yeah, so I, they gave me a solo song to sing at communion time. And I was like, are you sure? Me? So I sang, and everyone at church kind of slapped me on the back and said, oh, my God, you can sing. And I'm like, huh, okay, are you, are you sure? But there were so many people that I couldn't dispute that they were sure. Because it kept getting reinforced <laughs> that, okay, you can actually sing, Seal. I'm like, okay, cool. So, yeah, so she, throughout the years of from there right through to maybe grade 12, I sang in the choir. Um, but I didn't, again, I didn't think much of my voice because then again, somebody else came through and they had a belter of a voice. Like I'm from a a colored community, so they have an affinity for voices like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. So today would be an Ariana Grande and a Beyonce. So they big voices Mm -hmm. and I don't have a big voice and that's fine. It's my voice. It's a great voice. I love it. I know what it does. I know how to work with it. It's a steady, stable voice that doesn't let me down under any circumstances. I'm very blessed with it. So I don't have issues, but I don't have a a belter. I also am not a vocal gymnast and that's fine. But those were the voices they all liked. So as soon as those voices came in, I was given the soft singing parts. So I was described as the lullaby voice because it's a soft voice and it's, it does what that does. But yeah, so that's, that's essentially how uh, Sister Teresa helped me sing and gain confidence in my voice. I absolutely love that description of your voice as being a lullaby voice. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. But <laughs> talk talk to me about learning to love your own voice because you said, you know, you know, yours isn't a huge diva-like voice. It's powerful, mm. but in a very soft, very gentle and compelling way. So talk to mm. me about you know, learning to love your own voice, but also developing your talent and learning how to hone it as well. Yeah. So back at school, I I started writing poems when I was like grade 10, early grade 10. So that's like 14, 15-ish. Yeah, around 15-ish. So started writing these poems and then I started to dabble with songwriting and it was terrible. It was a complete disaster. I couldn't. (laughs) write songs at this point because there was like 17 melodies and too many ideas that I just threw into one song and I was just like it's a mess quit um but a strange thing happened 
I sang like a choir person would sing and follow directions and could follow directions easily during the choir space. So I had no idea what my voice would do without an external influence. Then mm. while I was trying to figure out how to write these songs, I sounded like somebody kicked me out of 1960 something, a jazz club in, in some way. And I'm like, this is interesting. Where is this sound and this tone and this feeling coming from? And it's stuck. So whenever I've written for myself, for me, without supervision and direction, this is what my voice does. Um, and it took me a while to just accept it because we did. We'd sing along to the songs and sing like the person because we're imitating, right? As children, it's not something that you you think too much about you just like oh okay this is how your dad this is how we're learning we fought we, we we have an example and we copy that and that's what i did vocally as well mm. until i started writing and then i was just like i sound like some old woman from 1950 something not and out of the country because i did not know anybody who sang like me at this time the closest would be erica badu who i get compared to a lot as well as i think what's her name is it Blue Cantrell, I can't remember her really? name, but like yeah, Blue Cantrell, Blue Cantrell, yes. And there's another. It's just style-wise, not so much in terms of tone, but the ah, style okay. is that Do you get. So it's kind of like old school jazzy, and that's what it's been. And I was just like, okay, cool. But I didn't think much of it until I recorded music with with people, um, and I had to write a song. I, yeah, I had to write the song on the first the first studio session I did with Project Five, which is that band we put together. That yeah. my friend helped me put together that story that I've spoken about. I don't know. Do you want me to tell you that? Oh my gosh, yes! I want to okay. talk to me all about Project Five <laughs> because that that is that's literally like the 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 thing that Beginning. kicked off your music career. Yes, it is. So Project mm-hmm. 5 was started by a friend of not necessarily a friend. So a friend of mine who's who's a doctor in training right now. She's back. She went to Cuba to study medicine. Has a stunning sort of husky alto voice. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to sing. Clearly her calling is medicine, so we accept. We just like Darn I mean, it. we missed out. It- isn't it great when like you're so multi-talented that you can choose like, oh, I can either become a doctor or become like this really cool singer. Do you know what I mean? The gifts, man. <laughs> and she can dance too. It's just gross. I oh hate her, God. but I love her. I love her. I love her. I'm kidding. I don't hate her. Just borderline envious. It's fine. It happens. Um, so she she had done a song with these guys and she's just like, it's not my thing because I can't write songs and I'm not really keen on pursuing anything in the music world. Um, so she'd met up with a guy who has, um, who had a computer and like a sound card and, and, and stuff and a mic and the other guy had a beat. So they were friends and they'd all worked together before. So she introduced me to them and I went to their house, which is like a half an hour's walk from where I lived at the time at home in Annadale. Um, so walked over to extension five and, uh, we went to his house and then we met two of his friends who were also producers. And we wrote Love Mirrors first on our, take what is it, Short Encounters EP. And then mm-hmm. we came, that was on a Friday. And then on the Saturday, <coughs> we wrote the rest of the EP. So afterwards, yeah, so that happened. And then from there, I was just like, okay, cool. It's still sounding jazzy, this, this, this voice. 
Um, and I, I know that before that, sorry, I'm going back a little. I got a guitar just to, to, to figure out how to write songs. And that's how writing songs started to make sense. Because there was an instrument to guide all the crazy ideas. I had four chords <laughs> at best. So I couldn't... Um, I couldn't deviate too much in terms of melodies and stuff because I had a structure to work with. So that helped me then write songs. And I just wrote, and wrote and wrote mm. and wrote and wrote on guitar and then met up with the boys. And when we performed project five that weekend, and then very quickly, like we sent out that EP to a couple of record labels and we got Peng Africa's, um, approval. So they wanted it quickly Then we did a follow-up EP which got signed first, ironically, on Fomp Records, and they both um, UK-based records. And they were like, that's voice. Who's the writer? Who's the singer? Mm -hmm. Are you the singer and the writer? And then a lot of people just started knocking on my door and asking, are you the writer for this song? I've got a remix project I've got to do for this or something within that 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 those two releases. The first one but that was out is called Take a Deep Breath. Marubini music featuring CO Black Widow, which I used to go by then. And then the Short Encounters EP by Project 5 then came out about a year thereafter. And people were just like, who is this voice? Who's the owner of this voice? Are you the songwriter? And I'd be like, yeah, it's me. And very quickly, big people came knocking and I was just like, what's going on? Huge yeah. people came knocking. Huge Charles people. Webster. Very came quickly. knocking as so, like, like sure what <laughs> i was stunned. I, mean, I was just like you're a, you're a, you're essentially like if you're a lord of the rings fan you essentially get off the white at this point <laughs> like what do you even mean so like how so like dumbledore just worked in how how does dumbledore know me that's how i felt when um so how yeah how how did Dumbledore slash Gandalf slash legendary British house producer. How did he hit you up and be like, yo girl, I need you on my track? Like what, what happened? So from, 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 um, I think it was the Take a Deep Breath album, EP, I beg mm -hmm. your pardon. Um, there was a remix package that Fomp had to, that Fomp put together. And then two of the remixes um, were Luca and Pablo Martinez. So Luca then hit me up very quickly after working with my voice on those remixes to do music with him. And we did a song called Next to You. And Charles Webster and Luca had some kind of musical relationship at this point that was established. And very quickly, Luca called me as doing a very nonsense job. Yo, Jesus is Lord. What were so doing? bad. I was doing public announcements at game. Price check on prune juice, Bob. Price check on prune juice. So it was very painful. This is a Tight. very painful and dark time of my life. Listen, so I had to... money. Money is money. <laughs> food is food. Rent is rent, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. You must do what exactly. you must do to survive. So one of the crazy jobs I've done was um, announce products in the store with this tone. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, so while I was at work on the weekend, cause it was only available on weekends, Luca calls me and says, Charles wants to work with you. I'm like, get off. No way. Don't lie. God's going to punish you. Don't be that guy. <laughs> and, um, Luca's like, I'm serious. Can I give him your details? I'm like, this guy's playing with me. I'm like, yeah, sure. Fine. And five minutes later, I get emailed and called by Charles Webster. I nearly fell off my chair. 
I was like, no, guys. It made my day because I hated the job and I hated the environment. But that just pushed me through, I think, the whole weekend. I was just riding the high of Charles Webster wants to work with me. No way. Take the blues away. I ask the moon. So that's, that's how that happened. And I know that Charles had remixed Next to You, and that's how he got to engage with my voice. And then mm. from Next to You, he's like, I really like how you write. Um, over and above that you can sing, which is evident, um, and you're good at it. And I said, thank you. But for me, it's what you can write that I want to engage with and how you do that. So, yeah. Then we did, I think very quickly after that, we recorded the songs that he only released in 2020. What was it? 2020. Could have been 2020. Of his, his last album. So we sure. did them like five, six years ago now. <laughs> So it's been a while. It's been a good while. Sure, it's been one. a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody else, while you were talking about Charles Webster, I was thinking a South African legend that I know that you work really closely with is Kid Funk. And mm. I have the utmost respect for him because um, he does the most when it comes to giving a platform to fresh talent. And Mm. Every time I talk to him, Sio, every single time, and I'm not exaggerating, he talks <laughs> about you and he has oh. only the best things to say about you. And, you know, I know you've done so much with him and through him, but yeah. talk to me about the relationship yeah. that you guys have. Oh, man, it, it feels like a, a big brother and little sister relationship. I don't have older siblings. I'm my mom's only child. So I was raised in a very like um, single child, sort yourself out way. Um, <laughs> but he's been he's been such a great help whenever I've needed um, anything, both professionally and personally. He's he's always been the kind of person I could go to for help, and if not help, then advice on what to do. So there's that, and that's that's sort of the crux of our relationship. I trust him implicitly with. Yeah, if I get children, he's the godfather. It's that deep. So um, <laughs> he'd make a I don't good know godfather. If he hundred percent, hundred thousand percent, he would. But like, yeah. So he musically, uh, weirdly enough, I was, I was, I was, I just met Charles Webster. And Charles had invited me to a gig he was playing in. What was that club that closed down in Pretoria? The big one. I okay. can't remember. Mm-mm. It was another one. It was big. Mm. It had all of these different floors and stuff. But that one, I'll remember. Victorians who listen to this podcast are screaming at us right now. I don't They're know. I'm from Cape Town, be- so sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. I'm from Enetelis Taval, Askis. Different place. But he invited me there, and I'd seen this tall white guy come through to, to, to Charles's gigs. And this was like the second or third time. Charles had invited me and we kept, you know, looking at each other. And I'm like, who's that? And he'd look at me and we're like, who's that? Like, why is she dealing with Charles? And I was like, why is he dealing with Charles? I knew the name <laughs> Kid Funk. I had no idea what Kid Funk looked like. I expected a sc- scrawny, skinny Soweto boy who wore dickies and like, you know, Pringle and meanwhile, sporties. Meanwhile, there's this tall white skr- skr- guy. You're just like, what <laughs> is this now? <laughs> Because that's what the tourist streets call him, the screw screw guy. Anyway, so 
Then we go out to, we went out and we'd be follow, we'd been following each other online, but we just didn't compute that that's who we were. Right. So we met at mm. this other gig that Charles was doing and I was singing. And this is where um, Kit Funk noticed me. I we were singing some of the work that we were sharing um, that he was going to release on this, <clears throat> on, excuse me, his latest album. And Kid Funk was on the lineup and this guy walks through and he's towering over everybody because he's a very tall man. So he's towering over everybody and he stands there at the back and he crosses his arms and he watches us. And I'm like, yeah, the scrutiny. Anyway, so <laughs> go through our set. And then after the set, I come off stage and he applauds me personally. And he's like, so you're seal. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea who you are, but hello. And he goes on stage and they're like, um, Charles calls him by his, his first name. So he calls him by his first name. He says, Ellen's up next. And I look on the schedule and they say Kid Funk is up next. I've never been to a Kid Funk gig ever. So I go up and, and I go to the DJ booth in front of the DJ and I watch this guy destroy 70, I don't know. He played 10 tracks and he played 10 genres of music and they all worked. Yo. I'm like, what sorcery is this? Who is this man? And he's like, I'm like, oh, so you're Kid Funk. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then he's like, you're a CEO. And I'm like, oh, wow, we've been following each other. And then from that day, um, we exchanged email addresses and he sent me music and we worked on, what's the first one we worked on? We worked on his Reckless Project with um, D Malice. And the first mm -hmm. song I think he sent me was called Hours Go By, which ended up being the one of the lead singles in the in the album release. And then very quickly, more songs and more songs and more songs came in. I just kept saying yes. I'm like, what? These people want to work with me? Okay, let's go. Let's go. So I was very excited and very happy that people cared that a girl from Annadale could sing and write and they wanted me on their songs. And all of these people are giants in the in the in the industry so i say i haven't said it in a while but essentially my career is built on the shoulders of giants i stand on their shoulders which is an incredible blessing mm, the last time we spoke about you was when i interviewed him and johnny miller for the connected ep that they brought out mm. and both of them were like oh every time we get a chance to work with her we just jump because she's so professional and she brings so much to the table. And I think if I remember correctly, that track that you did off Connected was Heartbeat, right? Your heartbeat is your drum. Your voice is your rhythm. You learned it in your mother's womb. That two-beat boom that made you recognize home when she laid your ear against her chest. And you found rest when the world was loud. Yes. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. Those those lyrics were were yeah, they were super weighty and poetic and and really mm. lovely. I just I just Thank wanted you. to tell you that. Yeah. But um I think I think an event for me that you played that stands out in my mind since we're talking about Kid Funk was mm. that Tom Mish show at Pardon Island yes. Park. It was like yes. December 2019, like a few months before all the shit went down. And Ish. like, honestly, one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen. Like Muzi played such a banging set. 
Kim yes. Funk was out of this world. And then I remember Doors like you came cool. gliding onto stage like in your signature white, like with your yes. dreads and this majestic bun, like a fucking crown. And like you just destroyed that stage. I'll never forget that day. But what comes to your mind when you think back on that event? Also sharing a lineup with Tom Mish. Oh my gosh. Love like I'd written... He'd released Geography. When did he release Geography? 2017? 2018? 2017. 2017. He released yeah. it then. And I could not stop playing the song called TikTok. Ironically, I'm addicted to the app TikTok. But anyway, another story for another day. Um, <laughs> and I, I was just like, wow, is there, no, is there no music on here? Like how? And it just... There's not, the, I'm not, not, not no music. I beg your pardon, no vocals on this. And I was just like, okay, cool. So I just wrote a song and sang it. And I was just like, can I post it? Oh, is he gonna, is he gonna wrap me on the knuckles for posting a song that's his and not mine? So I sent him this long um, inbox DM. That's it on Instagram and he didn't answer so I was just like okay cool let me post it and see if anybody's gonna flag it or take it down and nobody did mm -hmm. so I posted the song um of me a video of myself singing on TikTok and the song I wrote for it is called The Girl Next Door so mm -hmm. then I posted that on on YouTube and I waited for it to get taken down and it didn't it still lives there in black and white and I'm like okay so he doesn't mind I'm like okay cool and it just, they changed the the credits saying that the song is originally by Tommy. So I'm like, great, it lives here. That's fine. So it's not going to wrap me on the knuckles. And from geography, because I've been a fan of, of Tommy for ages, it's always been like a dream of mine to occupy space and potentially work with him. It still is. Um, getting a call from from Cape Town asking me to come and sing on a, on a Tommy lineup was a no-brainer. I was like, guys, I'm there. We'll see in front what happens. And I'd had a string of very bad gigs leading up to that. And I was terrified. But I'm like, no matter what happens, I will be on that stage. We'll see what we do in front. And it was it was the most terrifying and most rewarding gig I've I think I've done to date. It's one of the, the highlights of my life. And it was it was also incredibly beautiful for me because 2019 is the year subtext came out and and the big mm -hmm. heartbreak i went through was in and around subtexts so i wasn't doing well for a long time and when tomish came around i'd started to see light in my eyes again and i could smile genuinely instead of a pasted smile to placate it was a genuine mm -hmm. real sense of okay i'm, I'm becoming my Self, whichever version this is, 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0, it's fine. But it doesn't feel like I'm grieving as much. So it's one of the most beautiful memories of my life, being on that stage. And how everybody received our set and, and enjoyed it, even though the music may not have been as well known as all of the DJs around us were playing. Everybody engaged with us so well. It was amazing. And it was also the biggest stage I've ever performed on in my life. So terrifying at the time. But when once I got on stage and it was it was it was incredible. Incredible. And then the world shut down and now the world is opening up again. And yes. how how do you feel like about getting back on stage again? 
very excited, very excited. There's a couple of things I need to to think about and restructure, but I'm very, very, very excited for for the ability to share music and that we're in a different mental space for appreciating music. And I know that a lot of people are a lot more introspective and conscious because we've had to sit with ourselves in isolation or or just sit still and not move and be as busy as, as we were, that we had to introspect and look at, look at ourselves. So I think art is being appreciated a lot and music specifically is being appreciated a lot more. And it's also not being taken the same way as it used to. There's this space for conscious music. There's this space for music that has feeling, thought and weight behind it over and above just escapism which was most of what people consumed around me i'll speak for for my kind of spaces people didn't Mm -hmm. listen to music to think and feel and grow they listened to music because it was friday and they were tired of the week and they needed a party and to forget about life and escape Mm -hmm. so i'm very excited that this is the space and this is the time that we get to share i can't wait can't wait well, Sia, I just wanted to say thank you for joining me on Text Talks today. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you again. It's always so great to hear what you're up to. I know you're always busy on more than 50 things at the same time. And mm. I hope that when the next chapter comes out, before the next chapter comes out, you send me a sneaky DM so that I can, <laughs> I can listen to the tracks because you know I'm a fan. Thank you. Yeah, I will. I will. Hopefully we can, we, can, we can have another chat prior to the album release. That'll be wonderful. Oh my gosh, definitely. Thank you. You are a star. Be careful of the alchemy My dear one There's love in
joining us for another episode of Tex Talks. From me, your host, Tex, producers Jonathan Ings and Matthew Lurtz, and research and associate producer Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side. A huge shout out to Johnny Walker Rocking the Daisies, South Africa's biggest music and lifestyle festival. Remember to follow Tex Talks on socials and subscribe and rate on whatever platforms you stream your podcast on. Head on over to texttalks.com for all our previous episodes. And remember, that's Tex with a double X.